0: Hello and welcome to HRD Live Podcasts. This week I'm joined by Becky Fosby, Group Head of Wellbeing at Department for Transport. Welcome, Becky. Thank you. And uh, so, could we just start off with you talking about your role and like your main responsibilities at Department for Transport?
1: So, DFT is kind of a medium sized government department. We've got about 17,000 employees and they're a whole different mix of types of roles. So, In our central department, we've got the type of people that you would normally consider to be typical civil servants. Um, But there's also a lot of employees who are doing very different types of jobs. So anyone who's got a driving license will know about the DVLA, and that's part of DFT. Um, We've got the Coast Guards, and we've got people who kind of inspect the heavy vehicles that come into this country. So a really, really wide range of demographics. And I am coming up for my two-year anniversary in this role on the 1st of April, no jokes. Um, and this was kind of, this was a new role for DFT. So well beings really coming up the agenda in the UK workplace, as you know, and particularly in the civil service. And DFT wanted to have a kind of mid-level, mid-senior level role, someone who could really take a strategic approach to well-being. So they created this role and I was lucky enough to be asked to do it so my job is to kind of set the well-being strategy for the department um, and make sure that we are achieving our aims and I'm really proud of the fact that we take a person-centered approach to well-being so that means that well-being is not just about health we recognize that it's dependent on a whole myriad of factors many of which are interdependent so That means that everyone has the right to define what well-being means to them. And that's something that we kind of really push at DFT. When I first started, people were asking me a lot, what is well-being? And I kind of refused to answer and said, well, it's different things for different people. So we empower our employees to define what well-being means to them. And also we're looking at taking action on well-being as being an element of high performance, so both for job holders and for line managers. So people being proactive and self-aware about taking care of themselves and line managers enabling people to be able to do that. And then kind of the other side of that coin is that I'm looking at encouraging colleagues to see that people with well-being issues can still be high performers if they're properly supported and if they themselves are exhibiting the right behaviours. So exploding that kind of myth that, well, I don't want someone on my team who's got a well-being issue because you're going to be sick loads and, you know, I'm going to have to make adjustments and it's all a bit of a drag. Actually, that is absolutely not true if you've got someone who's got the right attitude. And something else I'm I'm really pushing is the quality of conversations. So the line manager relationship is the number one determinant of workplace well-being. And so quality conversations are so key to boosting well-being in DFT. And I picked up a couple of things when I first started. People had fears about disclosure, so they didn't necessarily want to divulge all the details of their issues to their line manager. So I'm now working to help people understand disclosure is not all or nothing. You can say that you have got an issue, but you don't have to go into all the detail as long as you're focusing on kind of what you need to take care of yourself. And then the responsibility is shared between the line manager and the job holder. So just because someone tells their line manager they've got an issue, it doesn't mean that the line manager then has to fix it. Their job is to create the conditions within which it can be fixed. And then I'm doing a lot of work with leaders as well. So this is where I see that I can kind of get the best leverage from what I'm doing so i'm encouraging leaders to see well-being as key to getting the best from their people so investing in their own well-being so they can be their best selves at work looking at the shadow that they cast and kind of how their behavior affects the well-being of others and then considering well-being in decisions about how work is done how priorities are set and how work is organized and that all comes under the umbrella of the, my aim for DFT, which is to create a culture of well-being in the department.
0: Sounds like a very exciting and purposeful role. And uh, congratulations on um, reaching your two years in a few few months' time.
1: Well, thank you. Uh,
0: so what would you say are the biggest challenges that you've um, tried to overcome or you've come across in the past two years at DFT?
1: So this is a really thought-provoking question for me, because actually there are an awful lot. Um So I wanted to focus on just three, um, two professional and one personal. So the first one is something that I am still finding challenging. I feel that I'm struggling against the way that wellbeing is portrayed in the media, so... If you look around on the internet and particularly on social media, the kind of people who are promoting wellbeing are generally young, female, very attractive, kind of living this unattainable lifestyle, drinking green juice and doing yoga. And actually a lot of the things that they're promoting are quite expensive. So a lot of people look at that, they find it alienating and they think it's not for them. So then when you see when you say wellbeing this image pops into their minds and they just it's a turn off for them so and that's not what dft is about absolutely not so this is an ongoing challenge for me um the way that i choose to deal with it is just by actually being quite explicit about the fact that that is what's out there in the media and that's not what we're about and continuing to raise awareness through it and through the interactions i have with colleagues The second one is more about when I first started, and that was around prioritising. So I'll be quite explicit. It sounds cheesy, but this really is my dream job. And so I was so excited about this, really passionate, and just everything looked like it was worth doing and was going to add value to the organisation. And to start with, I struggled to kind of, where should I put my time? And now I just have to be strict with myself. I have to ask myself, what will add the most value to the organisation and what will give me the greatest leverage to achieve what I want to achieve, which is basically a culture of well-being. And that, asking myself those questions is kind of what led me to be working with leaders a bit more in the organisation. And then the personal one is kind of related. So this is how not to take, let my work take over everything else. So... As I said, this is my passion. I find my job incredibly stimulating and rewarding. Um, and the temptation was just to do it all the time because that was what I wanted to do. But I recognised quite quickly I wasn't practising what I preach. I still need time to look after my own well-being, and I still need time to do the other things in my life that I'm passionate about. So I need to be quite disciplined with myself. Sometimes I have to have stern words with myself when I start noticing I'm taking on too much, I'm working a bit too often in the evenings, I'm then saying, Oh, you know, I'm not really doing anything on Saturday afternoon, so maybe I'll just log on and that it's that creep that can and lead to quite unhealthy behaviour. So I have to be very strict with myself on that.
0: Okay. So you mentioned that is your that is your dream um dream career to get into. Mm. So what would you say is the most exciting part of your role?
1: What I find really exciting is that I'm part of a movement that is very new um, and because of that it's quite fast moving. So I'm kind of exploring new territory. I don't have a map. I'm creating the map as I go along and that is very exciting to me, although sometimes it also feels quite frightening. And what I love about that is, as well, there's a lot of my peers in other organisations around in the UK that are in the same position. And at the moment, there's a real atmosphere of collaboration. We're all reaching out to each other. We're giving each other advice. We're sharing lessons learned. Um, And there is kind of a real sense of excitement in this space um, and helping and long may that continue, so I think, as the industry gets larger, um that might fade away a bit and and you know that is just part of the way things evolve. but while that is the case, I'm really loving that It's good to hear
0: um so how important would you say well-being is in in the workplace in today's age?
1: well, of course, i'm going to say I think it's incredibly important <laughs> aren't I <laughs> yeah. um but to give a bit of context to that um I think many of your listeners will recognise the nature of work is really changing. So um, one of the things that people talk about in the context of well-being in the workplace is the ageing workforce. Um, and actually what's really interesting to me about that is the assumptions that are made. So, you know, people are ageing, they're going to have more health challenges and therefore the employer is going to need to be more supportive. Actually, research shows that if you look at well-being in a holistic way, it's kind of a U shape um, as you go, um, as you get older. So, midlife, the midlife crisis is real. So, I'm at the absolute nadir at the moment. <laughs> but then the good news is the only way is up. So, actually, older employees are more likely to have better overall well-being. So, I think that is something to embrace, not be scared of. Um, and of course, the other thing is the technical, the technological revolution. So. I think we all had this idea that technology would make our lives easier and in many ways it has. Um, So, you know, in the taxi on the way here we were having a conversation about Google Maps and, you know, what a gift that is. But at the same time... I think we felt that wouldn't it be amazing if, you know, instead of having to write a letter, we could write an email. And that would mean that the thing could get to the person faster and then we could all just relax and have a nice time. But actually what's happened is that you email someone and because they get it faster, then they respond faster. And then you're just able to do more and more and more. um, And then the demands get greater. And since we are now in what a lot of people refer to as the knowledge economy, the amount of work that can be done is almost limitless. So it's not like when we were kind of in a factory making cars and they had to make 52 cars in a week and then, you know, that was it there's no end to what we can be doing. So we have to set some sort of limits. And that's where well-being comes in. And I think that's where a lot of organisations are really struggling. Like, you know, we will do this and no more, because it's possible to do so much more. Why would you not? Um, and there's not necessarily a clear case yet, for how we deal with this increased pressure, the, the sort of always on culture. And as I say, that, that the possibility to go faster, do more, expand our horizons. I, I think that is a real challenge. And actually, so my own personal well-being philosophy is very much around ancestral health. So... Our bodies and brains have basically not changed at all since we were a hunter-gatherer society. So that's not my opinion, that's just fact. Um, And yet, look at the way that we are living now. Um, We're in an industrialised society. We're talking about people actually having technology embedded in their bodies. This is not the way that we were meant to live. And I believe that that is where a lot of our physical and mental health problems come from as a society and so the further we get away from that way that we should be living, the worse our well-being is going to get. So I think that we need well-being now more than we ever have done. Mm-hmm.
0: That's really interesting, actually, and how you mentioned the past and how we've sort of adopted this new culture and how we needed it more. I think um, you touched on it um, briefly before, but what would, you say um, what would you say to companies who don't adopt um, well-being so much in their organisations?
1: I would say ignore it at your peril. So a lot of companies are going to be struggling to attract talent if they don't have a good well-being offer. So a lot of younger employees, particularly millennials, research is showing now that they value well-being above other elements of the employment offer. So employers who don't have a reputation as an employer of choice for well-being are going to struggle to compete for talent unless they're able to offer absolutely amazing benefits in other areas. And I think that organisations who are kind of choosing to ignore this need to understand it's not a nice-to-have thing, it's not a luxury, it's not something we do because, you know, it's kind of fluffy, my least favourite word that's used to describe wellbeing. It's a driver of productivity. It's something that elicits high performance and employee engagement. So why would you not want that?
0: Um, So, I think you talked about this briefly before, but um, could you maybe um, talk about some of the current trends in wellbeing um, that are active at the moment, some positive and some negative maybe? Mm.
1: So, I see a strong focus on mental health. Um, That's not going away. And I feel that that mirrors the strong focus on mental health in wider society as a whole. I think the next mental health is going to be financial wellbeing. So financial issues affect people's well-being enormously. They can have a massive impact on their mental health. So actually, by ignoring financial well-being, you're likely to be storing up trouble for mental health. Um, and I think some organisations are shying away from financial well-being because they're scared that if they ta- start talking about money, employees are going to say, well, you should pay us more. Um, and actually, it's not that simple because above a base level where you can meet your basic needs financial well-being is actually not dependent on your income it's dependent on your capability to manage within the means that you have got and unfortunately there's a lot of companies out there who are you know really preying on people's lack of understanding of for example what apr actually means and it drives me insane when i see these credit card adverts on the tv and you know the apr is like ten thousand percent, and a lot of people don't understand what that actually means um so i think organizations need to be brave in that um and embrace it and kind of let go of that fear that employees are going to say you should pay us more because in some in organizations where have actually they have actually introduced this that's not been the case people have tended to welcome it um and i think there's also a bit of a thing around well some organizations think it's not appropriate to talk about money i mean we're british we don't even We just do not talk about money, do we? Um, It's kind of a taboo. And so my answer to that is, well, that's what we used to say about mental health, isn't it? So financial well-being, I definitely see as coming up the agenda this year. And then we spoke about technology. So, I mean, I definitely see companies using technology to help employees manage their own well-being. So um, apps and online GP and things like that are really rising in, in popularity. I'm interested to see how that plays out. So I'm not necessarily a lover of technology and kind of Fitbits and apps that track your progress and all this kind of thing. Research is very mixed as to how effective that is for people who are looking to improve their own well-being. Is it kind of a motivator? I think the jury's out. Mm -hmm. So those are the three things that I see coming up the agenda in the next year or so. Okay.
0: Um, and the last question for me. So we've seen a lot in the news about artificial intelligence and how that's going oh, yeah. to impact the world of work. Do you see that having a positive impact on well-being in general? Do you see that not those two not being um, involved with each other at all? I
1: think they're definitely involved in each other um, because, you know, I, I sort of touched on people and technology starting to become indistinguishable from each other and artificial intelligence is something that's kind of accelerating that. Um the jury is out, isn't it? There's so many different opinions about how it's going to affect our lives and, you know, is artificial intelligence going to take over the world and destroy us all because we're destroying the planet? Um, You know, that's one extreme view. Um, And then the other is kind of we won't have to do any work anymore because AI will do it all for us. I am suspicious. So I'm someone who doesn't necessarily like the way that algorithms close down your choices and kind of narrow your worldview because you're only seeing things that are like things that you've already seen before um you don't i mean buying books is a perfect example i use amazon like everyone else does but recently i went into a bookshop a physical bookshop which i haven't done for a long long while um and not only did I have an extremely lovely time just browsing and picking up books, but I bought a whole bunch of books that I would never have seen if I was on Amazon. So I think there is a danger that, you know, our choice is narrowed. Um, and unless we really, really know what we want from AI, we could be at risk of, having unintended consequences just like we did from the agricultural revolution and just like we did from the industrial revolution.
0: Very interesting point and a good note to end on. Um, so that was great. Thank you for your time. That's
1: a pleasure. I enjoyed talking to you. <laughs> yeah, it's
0: been really interesting talking about a whole of wellbeing. We could talk about it for hours, but unfortunately. We certainly could. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, thank you for tuning into our HRD Live podcast. Make sure to tune in next week for a new podcast and don't forget to follow us on social media under the handle HRD Community.